Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Ramallo, Raging Demon, JC, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 107 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are artisanally attacking aerial anomalies automatically against automated automatons. This is episode 107 of Retro Hangover. I am your co host, Chris Copeline, with special guest Kelly Branford from Region Free Gamers, and as always, your host, Shane Purple Dick Oh my god, it's back. <laughs> it's back, everybody. There you go. I'm apologies to that one dude who likes to sleep to our podcasts, but your your time is over. The popular <laughs> The people have spoken. I don't know if that e- that's even gonna come over the audio. I, I think I just blew my microphone to shit. So <laughs> Hopefully it, it comes across. Well, we we knew I say we, we knew it was good because we just completely lost you for a good like yeah, five seconds there. <laughs> Discord was just like, I will not have anything to do with this. Sorry, Ashton, if that sounds like shit, it's the listener's fault. We love you. Wow, you're you asked the for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a successful <laughs> tactic. But by the way, welcome to the show, Kelly. We are so happy to have you here. I am so happy to be here. It's great to be talking with you guys. Mm -hmm. The reason Kelly is here, one, because she's a phenomenal podcaster that's on a friend of the show, Region Free Gamers, uh, but also because this is a game called Skies of Arcadia, which is part of an event called the King of Games 2000, which actually launched today to everybody over and over on the region free gamers main channel so you can go over there after you're done listening to us of course and go listen or to that episode which is i think is counter-strike versus pokemon so you will get be getting that episode for everybody and if you're a patron they've already listened to it the mystery is gone which means that's true if you're a patron of us or the region free gamers you can listen to the entire series as soon as you sign up so there's that there is that <laughs> yes so there's my there's my plug. There's my self-gratification or self-gratification. So uh, now now that that's out of the way. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking about this game, Shane. How about you? Uh, I, I am as well. You know, I, I I had no preconceived notions going into this thing. I, I had no nostalgia glasses to distort my vision 
such as it is. But you know what? I, I came out the other end of the experience and I was thoroughly pleased. So I am very happy to be talking about this game today. Yeah. And I'm, I'm certain that you are as well, Kelly. Oh. I know that when we offered it to you, you seemed quite happy about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I, I very much do have the nostalgia glasses, but I'll, I'll happily keep them on forever <laughs> for this game. It's, it's just a phenomenal <laughs> game. Awesome. And what is customary as we are want to do, some may say. Hey. We talk about what games we've been playing and what we've been up to in, in the real world, outside podcasting world, or at least just what we're playing, whatever we want to talk about here. So, Kelly, you are the guest. How about you start us off with what's been going on in your gaming life? Oh, well, after the Video Game Awards happened, uh, I, I've had It Takes Two since it launched, mm. basically, and I've been trying to get mm-hmm. my husband to play it with me. And he just kept, eh, you know, whatever, whatever. And then the Game Awards came out and It Takes Two wins Game of the Year. And he's like, hey, when are we going to play that game? So so we actually took uh, all of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and we uh, we played that game. Nice. Damn, I-, I can see why it's won so many awards. Definitely, if if you have anyone that you play games with, pull them aside, make them play that game with you. It's it's a ton of fun. So and. I do have one other game I've been playing as well. Uh, I'm a big visual novel fan. So House of Fata Morgana. Mm. Uh, I've been told oh. about this game for years. People tell me if you're into visual novels, you must play that game. I've probably put about 20 hours into it over the past two days. So <laughs> I've just been sitting and reading it for just Holy crap. <laughs> top to bottom. It gets a little slow in points, but for a visual novel, definitely, if you're into reading and visual novels, definitely give that one a, a try. In terms of like visual novels, because I, I do not have as much experience with that as, as you clearly do, like how 20 hours, like how, how far is that into the game? Like, are they generally like longer experiences like that? Uh, yeah, uh, for Muvlove, Love, I've played that one. I'd say all three parts of that game were about 70 hours total. Oof, okay. So House of Fata Morgana, I've t- been told, it takes about 30 hours to finish. So I'm about two-thirds of the way through, I'm guessing. So it- it's a nice chunk of reading. And I think they're wor- worth the uh, worth the experience and worth the-, the money if you're into that type of game. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, for some reason in my head, I, I always thought that visual novel-, novel titles were more like just, you know, maybe... F- five to 15 hour experiences or something, but that's, that, that's good to hear, you know, kind of get your value for your money out of it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some that are shorter, but I usually dig into these really long ones and really enjoy them. Nice. Now for what I understand that game's like the second or third highest rated game on Metacritic now too. Like all the critics that reviewed this reviewed it so highly is just breaking through Metacritic's algorithms. Yeah, for a while there, it actually had a perfect 100 and they started making note of that and there were starting to be articles that it was at a perfect hundred and of course as soon as that happened people started to review bomb it just to make sure that it couldn't be oh of course of course gotta protect zelda (laughs) you must protect them this is why we can't have anything nice (laughs) but you're the zelda fan you're like yeah protect zelda no uh listen now okay actually technically (laughs) my my wife is more of a zelda fan than i am so she's the one you want to talk to she she liked okay. Majora's Mask. I don't know what is wrong with her, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> she has good taste. That's not. There's nothing wrong with her. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's fine. It's fine. You you know people are allowed to be wrong. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Touche. 
<laughs> okay, Shane, how about you? Well, not Majora's Mask. I can fucking tell you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, man, I don't know. Like, the holidays for us have been crazy right now uh, because we are evidently insane and decided that we wanted to try to have the holiday season in addition to moving to a new house, in addition to having in-laws come and stay with us for two weeks, in addition to whatever the hell else we have going on all at the same time. So that's been a thing, uh, which consequently means that I have not really had a ton of time to play a lot of games outside of trying to get hours into skies of arcadia because <laughs> i want to because i've been enjoying it and you know also to sound like not a complete idiot on this episode but yeah man the, honestly that's 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 been most of it like i've tried to get some time in on the new season of diablo 3 because that's you know uh, that's a tradition uh when every new season comes out but i haven't really had a lot of time to do that either um so that's that's about it not really exciting like real life has just been taking over but you know soon at the time of the recording of this episode we're going to be moving in actually exactly a week so once we kind of get settled into the new place you know hopefully i'll have a little bit more free time back especially considering i have availed myself of the holiday sales and went fucking ham on the 3ds eShop and bought like four like smt games and like one etrian odyssey title and you know all of those like 70 hour jrpgs that i definitely have time for right now of course so yeah you are you're doing a good job smt we will do an smt episode eventually because i got a lot of the same games so that's going to have to happen my son's playing them so maybe he can join us for those episodes hey there you go i mean the the people asked at one point you know, when when was Chris's kid going to come back on? So there's a demand <laughs> now. He's older. He's he's not as young anymore, which is what time does. Wow. So that's so, that's yeah, so deep. <laughs> 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 I'm just the same age. I'm not. I wish. But at any rate, uh, what All about right. you, Chris? What have you been doing? So as far as I go, I have been playing NCAA 2008 in my spare time. Which is a weird game, I think, to hear on a podcast like this. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> You're playing the sports games. Yeah, damn right I'm playing the sports games. And I'm playing it on the PlayStation 2. I'm not dealing with that next-gen shit at the time. Next-gen shit, mm. you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of features that were in these games that didn't quite make it over to... Uh, the Xbox 360, PS3, and obviously NCAA football died on the Xbox 360 and PS3 because the last game was in 2013. So it never saw a release beyond that. But some of the things that are there are just are just really cool. Uh, one of the things I tell people from time to time is that the NCAA and Madden games in their heyday were some of the best RPGs that weren't RPGs. Just because of the way you can micromanage your players, sign contracts, recruit, upgrade stats, stuff like that. There's a there's a lot of things there that I think RPG fans would definitely appreciate. And yeah, you do have to play the sport to it. But I mean, just think of the sport as the battle system. Like it's your random encounter. Well, it's not even random. It's like a planned encounter. Think that you're playing like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but with pigskin. And I think you can make it past that. But, you know, that's probably not a good comparison either, because no one likes those fucking Romance of the Three Kingdom games. They just don't. They're lying to themselves. Don't believe them. Unless anyone here does. Mm, I can't say I've ever played one, amazingly enough. Good. No one has. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're popular enough for them to make like 20 of them. Sure. But in any case, yeah. Also, do, do you like do you like Chris's like uh, MO with this where he'll start with like a broad topic and then over the course of his thought process, just get more and more narrow until he's excluded everybody? <laughs> We're like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? You were talking about f- like sport ball five seconds ago. Sports ball. <laughs> I have connected NCAA video games to Koei simulations, and I'm damn proud of it. There you go. Okay. So there you go, jocks. You're secretly Kesson fans. Yeah, there you go. Are you ah. fantasy football nerds. You're just D&D in disguise. They know it. They just don't want to admit it. Other than that, I just checked into, I guess I would say new command, new job. If I say new job, people think I got fired. I didn't get fired. It's just everything changes in the Navy. It's weird. So I made a new command. I did my physical fitness assessment this morning as of the time of recording. And it seems like even an old fat guy like me can crush physical fitness standards. I am a modern miracle. There's no reason that you see someone as bulbous of me running down a street and being successful at doing so so there you go you just you embrace what you can do and you just do it and i'm very happy i i achieved that score today even though i was technically told it doesn't mean anything this year so i'm very disappointed (laughs) train myself up and yeah you get a gold star and that that just seems to be the case anyway so i i can't break too much but i did that uh job new job is interesting so i'll see how this pans out but i'm having a good time well, not really. I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. But eventually I'll get there. And that's me. Well, all right. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that all of those days running outside in the Florida heat paid off for you. They damn they damn sure did. My endurance is top notch. I've ran away from all the modern problems. That's how I've I've stayed COVID free. I just run from it. You just you just stay ahead of it. That's 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 the I trick. Just, I just run. Whatever works. I just run. Do- doctors hate this one <laughs> trick. Well, I mean, I've done other things like get vaccinated and boosted and stuff. But you know, other than no, that, no, it's no, mostly the running though. That's that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, definitely. Joe Rogan told me. Well, in any event, I suppose we probably ought to talk about the the game du jour, the reason that we're all here. And so, in order to kick that off, uh, we will do. As we are wont to do, and that is bring you, the fine listener, a brief history. So, Chris, would you like to provide the fine people a brief history of Skies of Arcadia? you're not known for being home for great RPGs, and your target market in your home country absolutely loves that genre, how do you try to convince people that you're going to commit to RPGs on your new and flagship console? That must have been a question for Sega in 1999. While the Saturn had seen some success in Japan due to its release of quality RPGs like Sakura Wars and Grandia, among others, it still didn't have the ponies to compete with the likes of Squaresoft and Enix that found their home on Sony's absolutely dominating PlayStation. With the PlayStation 2 looming over the horizon, and the Dreamcast not really garnering the type of sales Sega was needing, it would make sense that Sega would look to bolster its mostly arcade-centric library with an in-house RPG. Not just any RPG, though, but one made with a dream team of Sega's best talent within the genre. 
With the working title of Project Ares, Sega would assemble a who's who's of developers to create the game. They would tap Rieko Kodama of Fantasy Star fame to produce, while bringing on Shontaro Tanaka, scenario writer for the first two Sakura Wars, to pen the story. The soundtrack was composed by Yutaka Minobe and Tatsuyuki Maeda, with Maeda credited for the Sonic 3 Knuckles soundtrack. We don't talk about Michael Jackson, apparently. Lastly, members of the recently dissolved Team Andromeda staff, which had just wrapped up the highly praised Panzer Dragoon Saga, also joined in. Sega was putting all hands on deck to make the best possible RPG they could for their exciting, but struggling, new console. Development would go well due to the Dreamcast being much easier to work on than the Saturn. The team was now able to eliminate loading times between changing scenery, and chose to use a bright and colorful anime art style to contrast against the more dark, grim, and realistic styling that had become en vogue with the releases of Final Fantasy VII and VIII. The setting would take place in the sky, and be inspired by the historical Age of Discovery, with much of the inspiration coming from writer Shintaro Tanaka, who majored in history while at university. Additionally, the team would focus on having party members Aika and Fina being equal party members to Vice, as opposed to them being in need of saving or love interests that were prominent in most other JRPGs. Japan would see the release of Eternal Arcadia on October 5th, 2000, a week delayed so that Sega could release a trial disc alongside the full game. Japan would also see a manga in the same month along with promotion. Localization for Western audiences would amazingly take four months. Localizers Chris Lucic, I hope I'm saying this right by the way, and Clayton Vorlick ended up rewriting much of the game to have a much more Western appeal, while censoring some aspects, such as references to gay attraction, for release. Both found themselves working 80 to 100 hours a week to complete the script. Sega would change the name in the West to Skies of Arcadia, and it would be released on November 13, 2000 in North America and April 21, 2001 in Europe. Release would see universal praise from critics, pointing to its graphical presentation, characters, and storytelling. Unfortunately for Sega, the positive critical reception for Skies didn't translate to positive sales in any region. Because of this, PS2 and PC ports were canned, with the sole port being on the GameCube under the name Skies of Arcadia Legends, which many state improved the game, but still did not find success on the retail market. A sequel was planned sometime after release of Legends, but it was also scuttled due to poor sales and most of the team being on staff for Sakura Wars So Long My Love for the PS2 and Wii, a far more successful series for Sega. While the franchise may have long been left for dead, its characters still appear time to time in other Sega titles. Vice, Ika, and Fina make appearances within the Valkyria Chronicles series, which is also written by Shintoro Tanaka, as well as Vice appearing in the 2012 game Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform. So while we may never hear from some of the best air pirates of all time again in their own title, there's no denying that those who have played the game will continue to carry its legacy as one of the greatest JRPGs of all time the best they can. And that is your brief history of Skies of Arcadia.
thank you very much, Chris, for that brief history. You know, it's, it's funny, uh, I just streamed some Skies of Arcadia, like, right before we're recording this episode, and, uh, one of the folks in the chat said, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but, uh, the, the two biggest gripes they have with Skies of Arcadia is, one, the egregious encounter rate, which we'll talk about later, and two, the fact that it didn't get a sequel. <laughs> which I was like, you know what? I'm kind of on board with that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Now, were they talking more about the Dreamcast version or the GameCube version? Uh, they're talking about the, the OG version. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I did find in writing this brief history, and uh, I, I know you're more new to this, uh, Shane, so maybe, Kelly, you can fill me in on this information, because I've been wondering this a lot, and this, this goes to conversations I've actually had in the Region Free Gamers Discord, is Team Andromeda is frequently brought up when it comes to Skies of Arcadia. When you talk about its history, of course, Team Andromeda was behind Panzer Dragoon Saga, and I'll, I think I'll reference that within the episode itself, too, because I do find some similarities between the two games. But then when you look at the credits and the staff, I could only find one member who worked on Panzer Dragoon Saga who also worked on Skies of Arcadia. So I keep on seeing this in the history, and I put it down because it's, it hasn't been refuted to any large degree. But it doesn't seem Team Andromeda is really all that involved with Skies of Arcadia, despite it's just like this continuing story that they were. Kelly, do you happen to know anything about that? Uh, I don't really. I haven't heard too much about that. But because of Panzer Dragoon Saga, I could see them trying to fit it in there just to help promote Skies of Arcadia because it needed all the help it could get back then. Absolutely. But like only five people played Panzer Dragoon Saga. <laughs> That's true as well. <laughs> but it was still highly praised. So, Oh, very highly praised. It deserved it. But, you know, unfortunately, not many people knew that. Different story, different time. So, Shane, how about you tell us your personal experiences with this game? Yeah, sure. So it's going to be fairly brief, honestly. Um, I had no idea that this game even existed prior to us doing our King of Games 2000, which is another great plug for that so you should you should <laughs> listen to those episodes because it's fantastic but yeah i i had never even heard of this i didn't know it was a thing actually the only thing in retrospect now that i had been exposed to even tangentially related to skies of arcadia was actually vice's inclusion in Sonic uh, All-Stars Racing Transformed, because I played that on Steam like probably a year or so ago and uh, saw the played through the like Skies of Arcadia stage that they have as well in there. And I was like, man, this looks really cool. I don't know what the fuck this is, but that's neat. And yeah, so so now with King of Games coming out, we decided we wanted to do a full blown episode on it. And so, of course, you know, I kind of dove into this and uh, I, I I have to say that. I, I wish I would have known about it sooner because like the thing that immediately came to mind for me was like if I had known about this game when it was like fresh, it essentially has almost all of the ingredients for a game that 14 year old me would have totally gotten just absorbed into. Uh, I probably would have ended up playing this game multiple times from start to finish. Um, and that's really not hyperbole. Um, it's got a lot of things that really spoke to me. So, but that's, that's pretty much me. I, I didn't know about it till fairly recently. 
Yeah, I'm the opposite here, and I think you know both of us are going to have similar experiences. I think for different consoles, though, roughly. I got this game the same year it came out. I got it Christmas of 2000, which again, King of Games 2000, shameless plug. Uh, I do talk about this, but um, I got this game for Christmas of 2000, and it was one of the highest games on my priority list just because I heard it was by the same person who did Fantasy Star, Rieko Kodama. I didn't know it was Rieko Kodama because it just advertised it from the creators of Fantasy Star. Game developers weren't really any sort of celebrity to any certain extent in the year 2000, especially for Western audiences. We didn't know who the fuck people were. We just knew, oh, the same creators. Cool. So I definitely went down that route, mostly because Fantasy Star 4 I had played and I enjoyed, even though I hadn't beat it. And I, I had gotten Skies of Arcadia with Grandia 2 and Skies of Arcadia won out to a certain extent in terms of what game I'd be playing. I just never came around to beating it. I can't exactly remember why. I mean, I was 15, so mm. young and dumb, of course. I ended up getting it in 2013 when I started collecting again for just in general, just just period. And I just got in a Dreamcast. I'm like, oh, Skies of Arcadia is at this this video game store. I got it and ended up beating it then. And that's also when I found out that connecting any system with uh, composite cables looks like shit on an HDTV. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I continue to play games on a CRT. I learned that lesson through Skies of Arcadia. Uh, it just looked like crap. So I beat it then. And unfortunately, that same game that I beat got some disc cover damage. I, I don't know how. It's, I don't know. I wasn't taking extremely good care of my games for a long time. Even when I started collecting, I was just really dumb about it. And it got some disc cover damage, which is actually worse than a scratch on the bottom of your disc by far. Oh, yeah. It's way worse. So I, it wouldn't load up the first boss. So fortunately, I was able to use my mode and, and play it through there. But now I'm very sad because that copy is dead. So now I have to find a way to get another one because I'm neurotic. And that's the only way I can survive or else I can't sleep at night. <laughs> but other than that, I'm it's 100 percent cool. So, uh, Kelly, I think you do have the most interesting stories. How about you tell us your personal experience with this game? I have personal experiences with both both versions of this game. Hmm. Uh, basically, growing up, I had two different gaming magazines. I had Nintendo Power, and then I had, I don't even remember the name of it at this point, but it was, it's where I got all my other gaming news. And that's where I first saw Skies of Arcadia was in this gaming magazine. And I remember being so super excited about it, and then I saw it was on a Sega system. And at that point, I was completely Nintendo too young to have weight, uh, all the systems, so I couldn't play it. Oh, there is there is no age on having multiple Shut systems. Shut up, Shane. <laughs> Shut up, Shane. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So basically, I didn't get to play it until a few years later uh, when or might have been whenever the Dreamcast was announced to be discontinued. I had my first job and I was there and it was a job that where we sold video game consoles they announced the Dreamcast was discontinued. It was on the shelf for $99. And it's like, I should be saving for college, but I want this Dreamcast. So I'm going to purchase that instead. Uh, and my main reason to purchase that console was I wanted to play Skies of Arcadia and I wanted to play Grania 2. Uh, so I hunted down a copy of Skies of Arcadia, played it through the entire way. Uh, I had the the VMU game and I made sure because my, my Dreamcast because it was uh, when it was discontinued, I bought it. It 
had a problem even when I first got it where it would overheat after an hour of me playing it. And if I went into a menu oh, no. system, it would freeze up. So when um, playing this game, I had to make sure that I was not going into the menu system a certain way or I, the game would freeze up and I'd have to turn it off for a while and I'd lose a lot of progress. So mm. in that downtime when I couldn't play it, uh, I would play the VMU game. And I don't know how much you know about the VMU game for this game, but you could get experience, you could get items that you couldn't get in the game. You could only get it through that VMU game. Uh, when you plugged it back into the game, it would give you all these items. So I probably had all the rare items that you could get from this game just from the fact that I, I, I played this this little VMU game while I was waiting to be able to play the main game again for my Dreamcast to cool off. <laughs> and then for the, uh, the, uh, the GameCube version, which I've played as well, that was actually the first gift my now husband when we first started dating uh, we went to a uh, a video game store and I saw a clearance version of Skies of Arcadia Legends on the shelf and he purchased it for me. So that's like the first game, uh, the first present he ever gave me when we started dating. And it's on that's that's like the ultimate gift, because that that was an investment in so many different ways, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I played through that version pretty much right away as well, because I was like, I remembered this game and I wanted to play it again. So immediately went to play it again. I'm sure we can get to gameplay. You'll talk about the differences because I know there's quite a few and I've never played the GameCube version. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear what your thoughts are uh, in terms of differences between the two versions. But before we get to that, we're going to be talking about the plot and the writing about this game uh, and what we felt about it. I'll start. Hey, Shane. Yes. What do you think? Oh, man. All right. So, I mean, I suppose I should just get right out the gate and say that as far as I'm concerned, I don't think there's anything necessarily like super mind blowing here, but it doesn't really need to be. Overall, I felt like it was pretty well written and it was engaging uh, enough that it didn't need to do anything like revolutionary. It just kind of tells a, a good story um, and it kept me involved for sure. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated was just the fact that like each character has a very distinct personality to the point where in some cases it can verge on being a little tropey, but you know, that's not a, a huge sin or anything. Um, I will say that one of the things that you pointed out in the brief history was something that I noticed as well that I really appreciated was that uh, it was just really refreshing to see like main female characters like protagonists who are not just there as like potential love interests for the the main male character like they're actually functional integral members of your party and your crew and they have their own stories to tell um i just really liked that um because i, I didn't i was really hoping it was not gonna go in that direction and it didn't so i was happy about that because i'm just i don't know about anybody else but honestly i'm just kind of like sick of having love like subplots just shoehorned into games for no reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, some other things I guess I'd like to point out. Um, I really liked the dynamic between vice and Ica, which is sort of a dovetail off of my earlier point, I suppose. Uh, they're just like, they're just so darn wholesome, you know, like Ica is just like the lovable and slightly annoying, like spunky, like, female character who's always kind of poking jabs at vice and they've got this back and forth that is just really great um you can tell that they're like real close friends and they've got each other's back which is fantastic 
And I also really, really liked the the Valuin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm going to say Valuin. I don't know. Kelly, you can correct me on that. I think it's Valuin. The, the admirals, the fact that they were all like very distinct, I just thought was great because they're like they're like Saturday morning cartoon villains. <laughs> but yes, but that but I really loved that, though. Like they're so over the top that they're just that they're that much more memorable. I think, you know, they're not just like other faceless like bad dude or dudettes like DeLoco is actually probably one of my favorites just because of how crazy he is so yeah I just I really enjoyed a lot of what was going on here I just felt like the story as a whole like they made a point of making everything feel like it was this just grand adventure that you were going on and almost everything you did throughout the game or almost everything that happened still had that kind of flavor to it which was just a lot of fun how about you, Kelly? I think it was nailed right on the head. It, it felt like an adventure. Uh, yeah, you saved the world, so on and so forth. But it just felt like these characters, they wanted to go on adventure. They wanted to see the world. It would have happened either way. And you just felt like, like I felt as a player, I was along for that adventure. I can remember I actually teared up at the end of it, the game, not because of like some huge, sad point in this plot or anything else. But it just felt like my my experience in my adventure was over I, I didn't get to be with these characters while they were going around seeing the world anymore and that's the reason i teared up at the end yeah that's how the the effect of those those characters had on me i can understand what you're saying kelly 100 and, and what you were saying as well shane but more to the character aspect uh, going through this game again just recently for this for this episode i realized how much this has in in kind with final fantasy Five. It just feels like it took the concept of what Final Fantasy V did and ramped it up to a thousand. Because I, I'll have to disagree with you on this point, Shane. I don't think the the villains were very memorable. I think they were a, a little too tropish mm. to an extent. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, they they still provide that antagonistic, you know, barrier in order to do things. But I never felt like I was going to location to location to stop a villain. It was this overwhelming sense of optimism and this drive of just happiness and just we're going to like, yay, yay, go do it. I know it's really cheesy when I say it that way. <laughs> but when you play this game, the way that Vice and Ika and Fina and everyone that accompanies them in what they're doing is just so optimistic. It's so genuine. And as, as you said, Shane, it's wholesome that I really didn't give a shit about the villains. Yeah, I mean, DeLoco, he's he's good, but I don't care about DeLoco's motives. I don't care about any of the villains motives, really. And that includes the final, um, I guess, kind of spoilers. By the way, there are going to be spoilers. 20 year old game is an RPG. I'm sorry. You're listening to a retro show, folks. <laughs> you are. But like Ramirez and uh, Galatian, you know, they they're just kind of like they're evil for the sake of being evil, which, by the way, is just it's fine when the story is told correctly. Just like X death and Final Fantasy V. It's fine when your villain is evil for being evil, as long as your protagonists are endearing and wonderful. And that's what you get in Skies of Arcadia. Just being able to explore and Vice always being like, yeah, we got it. And Ika always giving him shit when he's being stupid. I think it, it made the game. It, it really did. And uh, to your point, Kelly, too, the sense of adventure never, never yields. It never yields. It, it, it's always in, in, enduring. And that's what defines this, this game. And it's written a lot better. It's a little bit darker than I thought it would be. 
uh, because, you know, characters do have permadeath, they die. You know, you are fighting wars and you, this is an era of RPGs where you get like, oh, look, you just beat the crap out of your bad guy. And he's just kind of like dizzy, <laughs> like, oh, you're going to see him again. Ha ha ha. Like, there's no real sense of, of really anything being on the line. And you do get that in Skies of Arcadia, but it's still cotton candy. It's still cotton candy with gristle, but still cotton candy. Yeah, it is. I, I feel like maybe maybe I should clarify one point, though. It's like I actually agree with you that I don't necessarily care about the villain motivations so much because they are very like boilerplate, honestly. Right. Like there, there's not a whole lot of depth necessarily there mm-hmm. beyond just like world domination, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I, I guess the point that I was trying to make was less about like their character motivations or anything and more just like how how the game almost goes out of its way to make them like identifiable like to the point where they they do like the you know i guess the first thing that comes to mind is like a tarantino-esque kind of thing but plenty of other people have done this but like the call outs when you see them like for the first time like where you've got the title like, like splashes on the screen of like their, their name and like their rank in the armada or whatever and yeah. like it just it goes that extra mile of sort of like making them identifiable in their own way and that's the part that i appreciated like they weren't just another like bad guy like they each kind of had their own sort of unique flavor mm-hmm. i also got to give a shout out to drachma drachma is probably the best party member outside of the main three that that really develops the character enrique is is kind of lame yeah he is. <laughs> he's he kind of lame uh gilder is just your typical playboy but drachma actually has a real arc yeah and i love that about drachma yeah for sure i mean the whole gilder and and clara thing was pretty entertaining though i'm not gonna lie it is entertaining kelly you got any more to say about uh the the plot in general or any of the characters or stuff like that i think i had a, a mini crush on gilder back in the day so yeah there's, there's uh-huh. that, so. <laughs> his charms worked on you too Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you, you found your gilder, it sounds like. He, he got you the yeah, game. Exactly. Exactly. I, that's, that's the whole thing. It was during the Dreamcast days that I had my little crush on him. So There you go. <laughs> okay, I think this is going to be somewhat divisive. Because I don't think it should be universally praised. There's a lot of good things about it. But we're going to talk about the gameplay. And for this section, Kelly, let's start out with you. What did you think about how this game played overall? And this is where you can talk about the differences you experienced between the uh, Dreamcast and the GameCube, for sure. Uh, Gameplay for this game, I actually liked, since there's two different battle systems in the game, I actually enjoyed the ship battle system more than the regular. Mm -hmm. Right, The regular battle system for me... It just seemed like your standard RPG. They did have the the whole switching up your elements and your weapons type thing, but that wasn't enough for me to have this battle system stand out. I much prefer something like a Grandia 2 where you have the, your wheel active time battle system type deal. Uh, this one here, it just it didn't do too much for me, but for some reason, I actually really latched on to the ship battles. Uh, yes, they did take a while, it seemed like they were they were pretty slow, but I really enjoy just the the strategy behind it, making sure you go to a certain way. Do you want to take that extra risk, go in front of the ship, or do you want and try to get it killed in one hit, but what they could kill you, or did you want to play it safe on the side? Those type of things I I really enjoyed. It was 
different than anything else I had seen at the time. So I really enjoyed that. If we're talking about like other parts of the gameplay, I really enjoyed the discovery system as well, where you have to fly around and find different discoveries. And you were actually timed on it because if you waited too long to get some of those discoveries, someone else would discover it before you. That was really a, a great time for me. If we're talking about differences between the, the two versions, the GameCube version actually lowered the encounter rate, which I'm sure you guys will talk about as well. The encounter rate on the Dreamcast version is kind of ridiculous. I can remember going towards the, the Amazonian area, which I, I'm blanking on the name right right now. Uh, Ixataka? Yes. It, and I can just remember heading towards that area, and it just seemed, the world seemed so huge. And I can remember nearly death, nearly dying on every encounter and going two more steps and or, or flying two more inches and then boom, another encounter, another encounter, and finally getting to that town. And I felt such a sense of relief that I made it there because it just seemed like there were so many battles along the way. And uh, the GameCube version did kind of fix that a little, but it was still, either way, you're, you've got a high encounter rate. They also sped up the battle system a little bit on the GameCube version. So one of the other problems I had with the original battle system when you're playing as your characters, not on the battleship, just everything moves so slowly for me. So I don't know. Did you guys find that as well, that it was a slow battle system? Uh, you, you want me to jump in on that one? Uh, sure, because I, I think me and you have some differing opinions, so I'll let you take this. Okay, sure. Yeah, so I, I, I have a lot to say about this. Surprise, surprise, I know. Mm. I, I think actually, Kelly, you said this already, but I, I said the same thing in my notes, which was on, on the surface of this game, I think it's a pretty standard turn-based RPG, or at least it would appear that way. Uh, but there are like some layers to it that I think I mostly enjoyed. <laughs> so if we're talking about just the, the character based combat, we're not getting to the ship stuff yet. Some things to note. So I thought that the weapon color system that's tied to learning magic was uh, different. It was an interesting approach, if not maybe a little clunky. I don't know if it's just me. I, I kind of felt like it never ended up feeling particularly natural. You were always either just purposely like setting your characters to specific colors to gain that type of magic for that character, or you were swapping to kind of take advantage of an enemy type weakness. But those two things never really harmonized all that well. In my experience, it was this like strange dissonance between how the systems were supposed to work together. And I just eventually figured out that I just should leave each character on like one color that was quote unquote best for them until they learned all of the spells of that color and then kind of like swap around from there. The type advantages in combat, I really felt like never made a difference or at least nothing that was really appreciable. Like I could see the damage number differences like if I knew that a certain enemy was weak to something or what have you, but it never felt like it mattered enough for me to have to like mess around with the, the weapon colors all that often. And speaking of like the type advantages thing, uh, kind of like to that end. And I think Chris and I at least agree on this point. Mm. I thought that the offensive magic spells were like largely pointless 
Yeah. And and also cost way too much. Can, can we just talk a second about how there are two like point systems uh, in this game for for battle? You've got MP, which is, of course, your, your magic or, or your mana points. Right. And then you've also got the SP, which is like the gauge for your party as a whole that you can utilize to do like super moves and things. It, it, does anybody know why like there's why like magic spells cost both like why in order to cast a spell do i need to utilize both an individual character's mp in addition to the group's sp to cast a spell that just seems like way more expensive especially when there's items to back up those spells that don't cost either exactly yeah, yeah. and you yeah. get quite a few of them right like you get oh, yeah. the, the boxes and like or the glyphs things like that and so functionally to me what ends up happening with that is that it renders at least one of your party members mostly useless and that's fina and i don't know if that's like controversial but like given that she's primarily a spellcaster because her melee sucks and she's got a bigger MP pool outside of like some very certain scenarios, which I'll get into in a minute. Like, I just felt like she was dead weight. Am I the only one that feels that way? Oh, no, I don't think she was dead weight. How about you, Kelly? Uh, I mean, I didn't use her as well. It seemed like I used her to charge a lot. So, mm -hmm. yeah. OK, so that's so that's that's exactly it. Right. OK, so so my my combat like strategies basically boiled down to like two things um and this is of course like about halfway through the game because for for groups when you have just like random encounters ika's uh aoe super is fucking fantastic that thing like you can cast that right off the get and ika's quick is also i think the highest that you have mm -hmm. out of all the characters in your party she's like the highest attacker like, yeah to go first exactly so like essentially all you need to do is just cast that aoe super at the beginning of every fight and that'll either clear everything or it'll knock stuff down enough where you can just kind of like clean up stragglers with basic attacks from everybody else or for single target and boss battles i really only found myself like building up enough sp to use fina's lunar blessing so that everybody could get hp regen so i didn't have to spam healing stuff buff vice with Incrum, which then gives him his attack boost and then have everyone else in the party just focus the shit out of a couple of turns until we get enough sp to have vice do his like super spicy like 21 point single target attack yeah and then rinse and repeat and that was pretty much the win for just about every encounter i think uh i know that there are certainly different ways to go about it but i, I just kind of felt like that worked the best. And so it was kind of weird because I felt like the balance was a little off in that I almost didn't really feel like I needed or wanted to use a lot of the abilities from um, a lot of the you know other party members because it just wasn't going to be as effective, especially in cases where you have enemies that just do counter stances, because then you don't want to do basic attacks like at all because you're just be damaging yourself. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It sounds like you and I had pretty similar strategies, honestly. So, okay. So it's not just me. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, the strats there, uh, I, I can see your criticisms and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with them. I completely understand it. But one of the things I look at mainly towards JRPGs, and this is, I was going to hammer on it a little bit harder than I'm, than I am about to, 
But a lot of JRPGs and just RPGs in general just boil down to what's the best strat to take care of things and what's the most efficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, there's usually one strat that just gets overused and tapped into once you figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that's just a universal identity that you get with the JRPGs. It's just unavoidable. I've I've seen it in pretty much everything. And I look at like Final Fantasy games. What is it? Attack, 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 heal, attack, 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 heal. And you have other characters that can do things. So, yeah, is it something that can be critiqued? Certainly. And I 100% agree with the fact that they give you all these spells that can do all these wonderful things. It just disincentivizes you to do any of it at any given point. Like, why the hell am I going to cast a fire spell on all the enemies when it, you pretty early on you can cast Lambda Burst, as you indicated from Ica, that will just wipe out everyone on the field for the most part. Yep. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just redundant. You don't, you don't need to do it. Now, in terms of Fina being dead weight in, in common battles, for the most part, yes, she is until you get to like those high HP enemies. And then yeah, you said she can do focus. She can cast Quicka. She can cast Incrum on on Vice. And then you can have Ika do your be your item healer instead of being a green healer, mm -hmm. because those are the only two spells I really value outside of Incrum for red is just green and silver healing your party raising your party and getting those abilities as soon as possible. Every other spell is essentially pointless except for Quicka, which is required for one of the ship battles, which is kind of <laughs> bullshit, but it is has a point to it at some point, which is a blue spell, which is probably the kind of spell uh, magic I leveled up the least just because it has such low vulnerabilities. And that's that is a cool thing, though. Like you said, you didn't notice the difference. In the amount of damage where it really didn't matter what the weapons did to enemies based on their color type. I know there's a huge difference uh, if you have okay. a chart. Now, granted, that chart is in the manual. So if you don't have the manual, you don't know what's necessarily going to be doing damage to what. And actually, in the Dreamcast version, the manual is misprinted to have one of the colors not damage the other color the way it says it's supposed to. It's, it's a misprint. They screwed it up. But yeah, I mean, there is there is a difference. And the other thing with Fina, too, is you have to get the champs. I don't know, because I don't think you played this through traditional means, Shane. So I don't. Were you <laughs> able to find the champs? Uh, yes, actually, I was. So, no, I did not play this on original hardware, but I was still able to have the VMU available and visible so I could still collect the champs. So that that wasn't the issue. It's like even with. Even with the champs, and like I made a point of scouring every area I was in to find them, so I feel like I got most of them. I won't say all, but yeah, it was still still weak. Like her attacks are still weak. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're not the strongest, but she she has her benefits. One of the good things is that if you cast Lunar Blessing, which heals all your party members like 100% full HP and revives them and gets rid of all status effects, that automatically goes at the start of every battle. So that's that's always a benefit to have that, especially later in the game when they start hitting you a little harder. Right. But I can just to take both your points like the ship battles there. They are super cool. And that the fact is because it's so much easier to fail through poor strategy. And that's on you if, if that happens, because like the entire strategy of how the battle operates, they tell you how to do it. They how, how tell you how to operate it. Unfortunately, it does come to the first first round. All you're doing is focusing to try and build your SP up mm -hmm. in order to do your special move somewhere down the line. But you can manage it well enough that you won't have to do your special move, uh, especially later in the game, because it does lean on that too much in the early parts of the game. But later on, it's fairly balanced. I didn't and I didn't even get to talk about the, the ship battle stuff yet, but just uh, suffice to say, I, I actually really enjoyed 
that mechanic as well. I thought the grid system mm-hmm. was pretty cool. And it was a nice change up from, you know, the usual combat with your characters. There were a couple of points that kind of irked me a little bit, but they were earlier on. So I felt like it was maybe more a tutorial-y kind of stuff. But the I think it was the very first ship battle that you get into, major ship battle. There were like two or three decision points that would affect how your next set of turns would go. And again, could just be me, but I felt like they did not give a clear enough like indication of which tactic you're supposed to choose to get like the quote unquote good set of rounds. And I, I failed every single one. Damn. So I got you're just all a terrible the worst outcomes. Well, it was like, okay, like there, should we try to follow behind and wait and see what they do? Or should we be aggressive? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe we should wait and be tactical. And they're like, fuck you. That's wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, the next time a decision came around in that battle, it was like, all right, should we be aggressive on this or should we like kind of hang back? And I'm like, well, obviously I got punished for this last time. So fuck it. Let's go in balls to the wall. And they're like, what are you doing? You're stupid. Like, I'm like, what the fuck do you want me to do? <laughs> Just a terrible tactician, Shane. You don't recognize what's in front of you apparently this is not. your pc master race training for you yeah that's I what it know. is i guess it's all on me i mean and that was the only instance of that <laughs> happening though actually all, all the other ship battles went pretty smoothly i feel like it was just that one was like just super not clear i will say though um in terms of the ship battles if you've played panzer Dragoon saga there is a blend and this is why when people say tre- team andromeda I can kind of see it. There is fingerprints within the battle system and a blend between the two in a sense, even though they're separate. Panzer Gudin Saga only had one battle system, which, okay, is nothing like anything that you see here, but there are similarities. So you build up a power system in Panzer Dragoon Saga, very similar to what you're doing here. Like you build up your power, you can do a special attack, and a lot of your battle hinges around that. Uh, magic also costs like points and stuff like that. So there are similarities. And how that executes. There's also kind of the like the green, red, yellow positioning system that you have in Panzer Dragoon Saga that you also see on the ship battles. I only bring that up because people say Team Andromeda, Team Andromeda. And I'll talk about that a little bit in the graphics, too, even though there's no real evidence to say there's a lot of Team Andromeda that worked on this game, at least from what I could find. So there is that. I said I would bring up Panzer Dragoon Saga for that. One thing I do want to talk about is the pacing. So I do think for like the first two thirds of the game, the pacing is absolutely incredible. Some of the best I've ever seen in an RPG, period, bar none. Later in the game, and I, I have to bring up this criticism, and it's, it's like almost sad that this happens at this point because it gets to a point where you can start avoiding random battles while you're flying in your airship once you go above or below the clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for most of the game, you can't do that. But once you can, it's like, OK, cool. But then it gets to the point you have your own base of operations and you have to go to another location, take care of that dungeon, go back to your island, talk about it, go to another location, go back to your island, go to another location and go back to your island. It really kills the pacing. And this is like an era before fast travel. So you didn't have that. I think if that was there. That would have made the latter part of the game a lot more brisk and uh, and the pacing balanced out quite a bit. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. And I think that that's a that leads a little bit into just a larger overall discussion of 
pacing issues in in the game Mm -hmm. overall while i obviously i said this at the beginning of the episode i i actually thoroughly enjoyed my time with this game so uh, all criticisms like please take those with knowing that like i actually really enjoyed this but there were some things just like uh we we sort of mentioned like the the animations in combat um and of course it seems like the re-release kind of addressed that which is nice it's like form over function like a hundred percent right it's it's almost like the devs like knew about knights of the round and were just like all right hold my beer i've got this because like (laughs) it's like really it's cool like the first time right (laughs) when you watch that you can skip them well okay yes you can skip the supers nothing else that's true okay and that's an important point because you can skip the super animations which are cool like they did a good job they're really flashy looking and they're fun but when you're getting hammered with you know random encounters you just kind of want to skip through a lot of that stuff and i see what they were going for Right. The, the fact that your characters will run around, uh, you know, uh, on their own volition during combat to sort of like reposition themselves and things like that makes it feel more like real. And that's cool that they put that touch there. I do really appreciate it. But it's those things and just the speed of the animations that just make each encounter just drag for like longer than it really has to. And I think the worst offender is the ship battles because you get these like extended several second shots that are just like this really great panoramic of like your ship flying next to the other one and isn't this so grand looking and i'm like yes yes it is please also just do the thing i told you to do (laughs) so we can go to the next part of this battle it it was a little frustrating so i mean i guess i'm glad they tightened that up but i think pacing overall kind of tends to be an issue but criticisms aside on the flip side of that i 100 percent agree with you that for like the first two-thirds of this game they nailed it because you are like always finding something new like either you are doing the discoveries like kelly mentioned which i also really really liked just finding those along the way while you're flying around and they sort of like incrementally give you new things like whether it's party members or abilities or a new ship or locations that you've unlocked or whatever uh, over that first portion of the game that you're kind of constantly just being like wowed by things you're just like oh holy crap i get this now that's so cool like i i was like 28 ish hours into the game when i finally got my cool big ass ship finally my own ship and like unlocked the whole like your own base building thing on crescent island and i was like holy crap i'm like almost 30 hours into this game and i am still finding new game mechanics like Mm -hmm. that's impressive and it never felt like it was too much because it could right like it, it could verge on being like okay this is mechanics layered on top of mechanics i don't know what the fuck is going on i need a guide to help me through this and it never felt that way i think it was all measured out in a really really sensible way and then yeah towards the end some of that kind of falls apart a little bit with the back and forth but overall it was just it was it was really enjoyable kelly got anything additional no i mean overall i i enjoyed the pacing for like it did get a little bit of a slog near the end but just that sense of the world just kept getting for me it just seemed like it just, the world just kept getting bigger and bigger 
like I can remember when I started, I started, it just showed a little small part of the map. Mm-hmm. And then when you got to the end of the game, if you took a look, that, that part of the map was just so tiny because the world just seemed so huge. This was the first game I can remember just thinking, wow, this game is huge. And yeah, it goes back to the story and the fact that it just felt like an adventure. So I think they did a really good job with populating that world and making every area feel different. And I've really enjoyed that. Uh, one th- other thing we didn't really touch on is one of the other additions to the, uh, the GameCube version is they added bounties where you could go around and you were basically a bounty hunter searching for these, these evil characters and you could get the bounties and, get extra items and so on and so forth. And that was a a great addition to the game as well. Just even more to explore and adventure with. I'm jealous now. (laughs) I wish I had that. What did you think of, of Pinta's quest? Cause I wanted to play it, but then I realized I don't have 5,000 2032 batteries hanging out (laughs) in order to power my VMU. Uh, Like I said, I I really enjoyed it. it. It's weird that like, I can remember there you couldn't tell what you got as an item drop until you put everything back into the game. So it would tell you like there was I think five different type of mini games in it where you could battle a ship on this little tiny screen or you would have to avoid rocks or try to go faster than the wind by hitting A and B buttons which You've seen a VMU and how small those buttons are trying to smash those buttons and actually get ahead of the wind. <laughs> it was very difficult, but all these mini games would drop loot items A, B or C. And you would just have to go back into the actual game to see what you got, whether it was a rare item that you could only get through Pinta's quest or if uh, it was just some some golden experience points. But it was a for being a VMU game, it actually was quite involved. I was impressed by it, honestly. And it, it was kind of sad that they had to take all those items that you could only get through Pinta's Quest and actually put them into the game on the GameCube version because you didn't have that that little extra. Right. Yeah. And, and speaking of the GameCube version, before we get to the graphics, I just want to say it's bullshit that you can't fully evolve Cupel in the Dreamcast version now because of DLC. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. That Cupel is the most powerful weapon in the game with 500 attack. If you can get all of Cupel's champs, which you can't do unless you went to the website that was not active anymore in order to get that. And it pisses me off because I wrote a I wrote a review for GameFAQs, which isn't a good review. Don't look <laughs> for it. But I, I, I wrote a review for GameFAQs saying that that pissed me off. And someone put a negative comment in my review that said, you know, you can download this from this site, brah. Yeah. Yeah, great. I just have this USB connector just laying around that connects to a VMU. It's just so convenient. It's just you can find it at Best Buy. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck? You can't get it. You can't fucking get it. It's bullshit. You can't get Ultimate Cupel in the Dreamcast version because of DLC. Fuck you, Sega. Yeah, that that is a bummer. I will say another bummer for me is that Pinta's quest was actually the one thing I couldn't do because of the fact that you had to control it with the, the the tiny little buttons on the VMU. There was no way for me to properly emulate that. So I could not participate in that part of the game, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, but you could probably still get Cupel through some download codes. Monster. (laughs) Oh, I guess this is a good time to talk about how good this game looks. 
and and how it's held up over time. And uh, again, I think this might be a little bit divisive. And Kelly, we'll start out with you on this one. How do you think this game looks? How do you think it's held up in terms of graphics? I mean, it's that that earlier 3D model look where honestly, the game, I think, still looks good. But for me, that that era of gaming, it just no matter how good it looked at the time, it still kind of looks dated to me. Uh, I would love to see uh, a re-release with or up- updated graphics. Honestly, it just it it doesn't quite hold up enough for me to seek it out and say, "Wow, this is still a beautiful game." Yeah, I I can one hundred percent agree with you. I think the graphics are probably the weakest point of this game retrospectively. Initially, I, I was going to be a little harsher, and then I had to remember what Grandia Two looked like, which came out the same year. Uh, they they battle each other in King of Games. Here's another plug. <laughs> But the way the graphical styling with like Grandia did, I think, is held up slightly better than what Skies of Arcadia did. And even I look to Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy VIII and some other JRPGs that were coming out on the PlayStation, just RPGs or just graphics in general of the era. And I think the way they are able to compensate for their lack of graphical power uh, to the upcoming PlayStation 2, I think they did a lot better than what they did in Skies of Arcadia. And that's not to say that it doesn't have its moments. I think there's some lighting effects in Skies of Arcadia. They're just beautiful for 2000. They're just absolutely gorgeous. But there is a sense that uh, and maybe it's just the style. It's the anime style. It's the brightly colored style. And it's, it's very blocky. It does. Once again, it looks like Panzer Dragoon Saga. If you played that on the Saturn, the way that you move around town, the way that towns are designed, the way that they, they are organized, the way it's is laid out. It, it doesn't feel much different than that. Now, credit where credit is due. It's a fully 3D world at a time where you didn't really get that, you know, uh, over the shoulder third person perspective for an RPG that was usually exclusively reserved, at least for consoles, for action games or um, platformers, action platformers. You didn't get that in RPGs. You got the pre-rendered backgrounds or you got the isometric view. So kudos to Skies of Arcadia for carrying something over that you didn't really see that much in general for an RPG. A lot of people will say that that they prefer that style and they'll give it more credit just because it is fully 3D in the in the camera perspective it gives you. I I got to admit, I think I like the the pre-render background and what Square was doing at the time over what Sega was doing. And you can't say Sega didn't have a budget. They still well, maybe they didn't at the time they. They were capable enough, okay? They were capable enough to give you a square-like performance, but they didn't. They opted not to. It has charm. It has character. But as Kelly said, it's it's really blocky, and it, it doesn't really hold up today and would greatly benefit from a modern coat of paint. I entirely disagree with both of you. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Now, so, okay. F- first of all, one of the first things that immediately jumped out to me when i started playing this and this isn't just related to graphics actually but but we'll bring it up here is that i got real strong ocarina of time vibes from this game largely from the stylistic choices that they went with for the the graphics but also the environments that you kind of go through and sort of the aesthetic that they went with for a lot of the locales and the characters. And of course, the fact that this is that same sort of like early polygonal era that helps a little bit as well. But 
I couldn't shake that feeling. And, and for me, this is probably where I get a little biased. Of course, I was a huge and am a huge Ocarina of Time fan. It's one of the few games that I have completed front to back at least half a dozen times. So that really spoke to me. And I feel like there are a lot of games from this sort of early era of 3D gaming that really suffer a lot. And I didn't feel like this was one of them. Like, I actually thought this still looked really good. Like, are the textures kind of muddy in some places? And do you get some like kind of weird pop in and pop out in some places and some clipping? Yes, yes, you do. But I think the I, I honestly think I was won over by that like charm factor. I think that actually kind of supersedes some of the shortcomings of of the graphics for me because I actually really enjoyed how this game was presented. Like, I mean, there were times like, like actually, I think it was when you first crash land on Crescent Island. Just the fact that you're on this floating island and you have just the sky out there to look at. Like, I, I remember just taking a moment and going up to like that highest point on the island and just kind of like surveying the horizon. And am I looking at a fucking skybox? Like, yes, I know that. I know I am. But but it was still like really well presented. And and the other thing that I feel like is a real minor thing, but it, it really stood out to me and I actually really appreciated it. I think it's a real simple trick um, and not at all unique to Skies of Arcadia, but I really, really loved the expressiveness of the facial animations on the characters. I agree. It's 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 just a 2D layer. It's it's like just a sprite thing overlaid on the 3D model's head, but it works really, really well. And it works because they have so many different unique expressions that go along with what's happening in the story during that cutscene. that it, I don't know, it just worked like it works better than it probably should. But I wouldn't say that's universal. So there's there's points where you see Ica and Vice smiling. There's a point where where Crescent Isle burns down and they're smiling (laughs) and it's just like, okay, I, I get it. Like this is that time period. I'm not. I can't be too overly critical, but it if you're going to use facial expressions to strengthen the graphics, which I agree, they do very well. There are there are times that Ika's facial expressions with the dialogue that's provided just had me die. <laughs> like Ika's a gem. There's certainly flaws to the system. And again, I, I don't want to hamper it too much. This is 2000. They were doing stuff with faces that just a lot of JRPGs weren't doing unless well, they, they just weren't doing at the time. They didn't have the horsepower to do it. And Grandia 2, which came out the same year, they weren't doing it either in the actual character models themselves. They more had like no mouth, no real facial expressions. If I remember correctly, I might. I think that's right. Right, Kelly? Like they, they didn't have that. Right. I don't know. It's just like the blockiness to it is is what turns me off. And if the if you like the charm, like I said, undeniable charm is it's going to be there for some people. I just think some people are going to look at this and be like, yeah, this is a game that was definitely it's a it looks like a Dreamcast game. Mm-hmm. There's no way around it. I mean, even playing on the GameCube version, I could still tell because by the time I played the GameCube version, it was probably like 2007. So it had been out for a little while. But even at that point, I could look at it and say, this looks kind of dated. Yeah, I never thought that I would be the one defending Skies of Arcadia. Kelly, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> There's still plenty to go. I mean, 
graphics aren't everything for me, for sure. I can play a game that looks like an 8-bit game, and it's still great. Graphics aren't, aren't that important, honestly, for me. Sure. Now, one thing that is very important to JRPGs, I think, is how good the sound is. I guess I'll start out with this one, and I'll say that the score to this game, the soundtrack to this game, is utterly phenomenal. It's a brilliant soundtrack that matches the overall tone and tenor of the game. It's it's inspirational. It, it keeps the feeling of adventure. It drives you forward. The battle music is fantastic. I love how the music changes depending on what how you're doing against bosses. So if you're doing terribly, like the music says, haha, you're about to die and you suck. But if you're doing really well, it's about, yeah, the boss is about to die and you, you're awesome. And it can just change like that. Ship battles are great. The overworld makes you want to explore. Horteca has some of the best town music in RPGs, period. It's just so good for a town. Uh, maybe not as good as the Xenogears, your town is number one, or as I like to say, your town is fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, the music is really good. The only real criticism I have for Skies of Arcadia is where the fuck is the voice acting? They they provided it. I think this game would be much better served with a fully voice acted script. And normally I don't feel that way universally about games but i really do feel like if this game was fully voice acted because they did have voice acting to a certain extent and also unfortunately at least in the dreamcast version i don't know how it is in the uh, gamecube version but it's extremely compressed and it's not the quality sucks and there's there's not a lot of it so it almost feels phoned in especially okay i'm going to go back to the wealth grandia 2 but it's not just grandia 2 it's grandia it's lunar it's a lot of the things that game arts was doing it's where Final Fantasy would be in a year after this. It's just a fully voice acted cast. And I think Sega could have done that and would have served this game really, really well. It's not a deal breaker by any extent of the imagination, but I feel it's a huge, huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you on that one, actually. Like, I wanted there to be full voice acting because because they, they like tease you with it. Right. Like, like it's there, like you get little clips, but not the full thing. And I'm like, ah, man, like, I feel like this would have been a full package if they could have just included this. And I don't know if it was a a time or technical limitation or what it was. I just really or budget. Maybe I don't know. But yeah, 100 percent. I really wish that would have been there. I think you. At least for me, I think you covered most of what I was really going to say about the soundtrack as a whole. I thoroughly enjoyed all of it. I thought all of the tracks really matched the atmosphere, no matter where you were. And as you mentioned, that sort of like that through line of just this lightheartedness, this like optimism and like adventurous spirit just kind of permeates through just about all of the music in this game, like even even when things get like evil, like even when you get like the the villain themes, like there's still a lot of cases where, you know, you kind of still have that playfulness to it almost, which I really, really appreciate it. So yeah, good, good stuff all around. I don't know. What about you, Kelly? Uh, I think for me, because of the era, since I played the original when it came out pretty much or a couple years later, 
voice acting wasn't really a thing yet in a lot of the RPGs that I had played. I hadn't played Final Fantasy X yet. Uh, I was still on like the, the PlayStation 1 Final Fantasy games and all that. So I didn't really even notice the lack of voice acting at that point in time. It wasn't really a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. Having the the little expressions of uh-huh and you know just that was enough for me at that time i didn't really have an issue with the no voice acting thing uh but i do have to agree the the soundtrack was phenomenal i actually still have a few tracks from the soundtrack on my spotify playlist nice. uh, kingdom of montezuma is probably my favorite track on the the soundtrack I still think that goes back to the fact of me trying to get to that kingdom before I died on that ship and finally getting there and seeing that <laughs> town and just being like, this music is awesome. I'm safe. I'm happy here. So, <laughs> And uh, the, the staff credits, the, cro- the credit roll, the, that music there, once again, just the feeling that that adventure was over and that music just seemed to encapsulate that. And those two tracks just are on my playlist forever, I think. Yeah. Audioly, like I can understand if the voice acting thing from your perspective, like you don't care for it much. And no, I can completely get it because RPGs were still not fully incorporating it up to that point. It was more of the like the the standout examples, the very anime ones. It wasn't the rule yet. It was very much the exception to have fully voice acted characters. So, no, I, I 100% agree with you, Kelly. I, I'm with you. I can understand that point. Still think it's a missed opportunity, <laughs> but I can totally understand the point. It doesn't ruin it. Oh, and one other thing with the sound, too, is the GameCube version. Much like with Grandia 2, where the original Dreamcast version versus the PS2 version, the sound got compressed. That seemed to happen between this game, Dreamcast version, and GameCube version as well. So if you're, you you want to hear the best musical experience, you want to go with the original. You want to go with the Dreamcast. Yeah, I, I heard a track from, I, I guess, Kingdom Matsuzuma. Is that the, 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 the track you were talking about? Yes. Is that the town theme to Horteca? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's way better on the Dreamcast. I, that's the only one I heard the difference between. I'm like, wow, they screwed that one up on the GameCube. It's still not. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's way better on the Dreamcast. So go with the Dreamcast version for for audio. I agree with you, Kelly, hundred percent. All right. So I guess we're at the point now where uh, we will wrap things up with a nice little bow and talk a bit about whether we feel this game holds up today or not. I think we traditionally like to leave the the last word for our esteemed guest, so we will continue that tradition. So let's start with Chris instead. So Chris, uh, how how do you feel about Skies of Arcadia? Is this something that you know somebody could jump into and enjoy today? You know, if there's any RPG that you should probably play today in current year, in current climate of just the way the world is going. If you need something to feel better and just have a good time and, and feel like that everything is okay. It's like comfort food. This is the game you play. This has absolutely held up. I, I think you look back to the late nineties and early two thousands and how many RPGs wanted to be edgy and how many RPGs wanted to have the doom and gloom and, and take a while to where they're going. And this game is just so full of optimism and adventure. And yes, there are problems with the battle system, but let's be honest, not every JRPG or just RPG battle system in general is flawless and perfect. You can poke holes in everything. It's still 100% suitable for everything you need to do. The game 
continues to drive you forward and it does so in such a positive way and it's very uplifting and it made me happy it's a game that just puts a smile on my face and there aren't really a lot of games from that time that focused on doing that there's not a lot of games from this time that really focus on doing it unless you're going to the indie scene this is a fantastic game that i recommend to everybody this is an RPG. If you love RPGs, if you love JRPGs, you need to go out of your way to play this. And it's a shame. It is a travesty. It is a crime that we have not seen this game on modern consoles. All right. Well, I'll go next. Um, I think I'm going to echo a lot of those same sentiments, but does it hold up today? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I think despite, you know, the handful of criticisms that i had largely around the mechanics as chris kind of mentioned um i genuinely loved my time with this game the the pervasive sense of optimism and just adventure is just infectious and it is a joy to play to the point where you can you can honestly overlook a lot of its shortcomings because the package is just that good my only wish is that I would have known about it sooner coming to it later in life. I was like, man, I feel like I've been missing out. I think if it had been on maybe a different console, like if this had been released on like the, the PlayStation one or something, I, I feel like it would have been more widely known and, and, and beloved than it is. I mean, it's gained its own cult status in its own right at this point. And I think it's, it's been finally gaining the respect that i think it deserves but from what i understand it was pretty critically panned uh when it first came out which is really a shame no it was critically very well received it was just not commercially it was commercially panned no one bought it uh i don't know i had seen something where there were some some outlets that were less than favorable about this game oh at release i'll have to go back I may be wrong. Uh, I, 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 I tend to do that. But overall, yes, I, I think it still definitely, definitely holds up today. It is worth the time investment for sure. All right. So, Kelly, what, what do you think about Skies of Arcadia? Uh, I think it's definitely one of the best games of the era. To this day, I only have four Dreamcast games, and this is one of them. And like I said, it's the main driving force behind me actually picking up the Dreamcast at that point in time. It, it definitely was worth it. And when uh, you guys came to me and said, hey, we want to do an episode on Skies of Arcadia, just it, it actually made me really happy because it meant I could go back and have an excuse to play this game again because we all have huge black <laughs> backlogs. We all know that. So just having an excuse to go back and revisit the game, it's a great time. I unfortunately didn't get to play through it all. Hopefully I'll get a chance to finish it someday. Yes, there is it perfect? No. Uh, not too many games out there are perfect. Uh, could I, I would really love to see a remaster, not so much a remake. I don't think the game needs a remake completely, just a remaster to tighten up the battle system, make it a little faster uh, and get and get the graphics just a little bit of a refresh. And this game would just be 100%. I'd buy it on, uh, on the Switch or any other system in an instant for sure. Fantastic. All right. Well, that means we have reached the conclusion of our discussion about Skies of Arcadia today. But before we really wrap up, because we never got to have this matchup in King of Games, I'm not going to spoil what the what the brackets are, but we, we I'll just say we didn't ha get to have this matchup. Mm. Skies of Arcadia or Final Fantasy IX? Oof. 
Uh, I I would have to go with Skies of Arcadia. Kelly? I, I would go with Skies of Arcadia. I would make it a clean sweep. <laughs> yep. I enjoyed my time with Skies like noticeably more than FF9, <laughs> to be honest. I think Final Fantasy IX finishes stronger, but it takes too long to get to the point. What, whereas Skies of Arcadia is just an enjoyable experience the entire way through. Yeah. It, it's just a breath of fresh sky pirate air. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, yeah, you're a sky pirate. There are better air pirates and sky pirates than fucking Vaughn will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Vaughn, you bitch. Uh, David Bowie's monkey son. That's no, I'm, that's Final Fantasy twelve. but fuck him too. Uh, fuck Zidane. Oh, right. Fuck that that's Sky Zidane. Pirate I'm getting the two mixed up. I don't know why. <laughs> Easy. Anyway, we're rambling now. <laughs> but yeah, so Skies of Arcadia, better game than FF9. Fight us. So at any rate, that brings us to the end of this discussion. First and foremost, I would like to thank Kelly for being here. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on the show. And of course, we had a great time doing the the king of games with you so we were really excited to, to have you on the uh the mainline episode so thank you for stopping by oh yes it's been a pleasure guys so much and uh thank you thank you and, and could you could you tell the the fine people where they can find the things that you do on the internet oh yes you can find uh me and all of my guys on Region Free Gamers podcast, Linktree, Region Free Gamers. Uh, I can also be found on Instagram at Sierra Knight underscore gaming. All right. And as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to this, then that means you've already found us. So hi. Hello. We're, we're glad that you're here. If you'd like to engage with the show uh, in some other ways, we do make that available and we make it easy. Uh, we, too, are cool kids with a Linktree. So you can head over to uh, Linktree slash Retro Hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Retro Hangover and find all of the uh, different places that you can go, such as our socials or the Patreon or our merch store or the uh, YouTube or Twitch channels or our public Discord. Come in and, and hang out and say hello. We've got a pretty fun little community going. Uh, it's always a good time and we'd love to have you. On that note, uh, Chris, w- would you like to, to mention our, our stream Sundays? Yes. So if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can catch us streaming on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll be streaming a game of some sort. I've been playing Lunar recently. I still will probably be playing it on the nights that I am streaming. It's Lunar Turtle Blue for the Sega CD. So when you show up there, be, don't ask me if it's for the PlayStation. It's not. Thank you. All right. And uh, we'll be playing a game. Shane will probably not be playing Lunar because that's my game. I don't know what he'll be playing, but we do play games and it is a good time. The discussion's a great time and uh, we'll love to have you there. Absolutely. All right. Well, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time, play with your yes, vice is better than Balthier joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. 
Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.